Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 217, The Russian Anarchists, Part 1. Last time, we did an interview with Brandon Gaucher, the author of Before Evil. Today, we start a new series about Russia's anarchists. This topic has a special place in my heart, as my Russian history professor, Dr. Paul Average, also taught a class in anarchism at Queen's College. He was also the author of a book entitled The Russian Anarchists. It will be one of my main go-to works on the topic. Before we go too far, we're going to need to understand what anarchism is then and why it became such a popular political and social movement in Russia. But before we get there, a couple of announcements. First off, today, as I'm releasing this podcast, April 30th, 2022, marks the 12th anniversary of the first episode of this podcast. It's been a remarkable journey for me, and I'm still loving producing more episodes. Secondly, on a more serious note, I've been getting a number of one-star reviews on Apple for this podcast, mostly from what I have to assume are trolls because of the content of the reviews. It's pretty apparent that this is due to my stance on the situation in Ukraine, as they're calling me a propagandist against Russia. Well, I'd like to ask you, my listener, a favor and give my podcast a review on Apple if you can. Note, I'm not asking for a five-star review, just a fair one. Reviews are an important way for the podcast to reach a larger audience. Thanks for the help. Now, on to the anarchists. The anarchist movement within Russia was most influential in the 19th century, but it's still with us today. One anarchist... Anastasia Babarova, was murdered on January 19, 2009, in Moscow, supposedly by two neo-Nazis. She belonged to a group known as Autonomous Action, which promotes anarchist and libertarian ideals in Russia and parts of the former Soviet Union. The definition of anarchism is that it is a political philosophy and movement that is skeptical of authority and rejects all involuntary coercive forms of hierarchy. Anarchism calls for the abolition of the state, which it holds to be undesirable, unnecessary, and harmful. What is not defined here is how those who follow this philosophy would achieve their goals. Some of them believe that only by a violent means of overthrowing the government, creating chaos, and a complete rejection of compromise could they create their goal of a stateless utopia. Others believed that only through peaceful means and through education would they be able to convince the masses that their way was the only way to reach a society which allows for freedom of all citizens. While Russia is not where the anarchist movement started, and that goes to Western Europe, it is the place where it had its greatest impact and greatest failure. Our journey to get to know the Russian anarchist movement necessitates the need to trace its early history. The etymological origin of anarchism is from the ancient Greek word anarchia, meaning without a ruler. The first two people who wrote about the concept of anarchism is William Godwin of England, an English journalist, political philosopher, and novelist. He was born in 1756 and died in 1836. The second person was Wilhelm Weitling, a German-born immigrant to America who lived in the 19th century. He would espouse both anarchist and communist ideas in his writing. 
But neither of these two men would actually use the word anarchism to define their philosophy. The first person to actually call themselves an anarchist is the French philosopher Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. Born in 1809, he is widely regarded as one of anarchism's most influential theorists and thought of as the father of anarchism. He would garner the attention of Karl Marx, and the two would meet in Paris when Marx was exiled there. Proudhon's publication of the book, What is Property?, or An Inquiry into the Principle of Right and Government, would introduce the argument for a transition from government intervention to a mostly socially just society. It is here that we begin to hear about Russia's contributions to the philosophy of one of the most influential anarchists in history, Mikhail Alexandrovich Bakunin. Born in Tver, Governate, on May 30, 1814, Bakunin would go on to influence the anarchist revolutionary movements in Europe, the U.S., and especially in Russia. Sometime between 1844 and 1847, while staying in Paris, Bakunin would have his famous meetings with the other philosophical giants of the left socialist movements, Karl Marx and Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. It is here that Bakunin would begin to edge away from the Marxian theories, especially disliking the idea of the dictatorship of the proletariat that Marx so strongly backed. In the 1850s, Bakunin would be arrested in Saxony and sentenced to death. Luckily for him, he was extradited back to Russia, where he would spend the first three years of incarceration at the Peter and Paul Fortress. From there, he would be transferred to the castle of Schisselberg, where he would suffer from scurvy, causing all his teeth to fall out. In February 1857, Mikhail's mother pleaded with the new czar, Alexander II, to free her son from the deplorable conditions and to exile him instead to Tomsk in Siberia. This was granted and would be a real godsend for Bakunin, as his second cousin, General Count Nikolai Muryavov Amursky, had been governor of eastern Siberia for 10 years prior. Muryavov was considered quite liberal for his time, and even proposed that Siberia leave Russia and form a new nation, now known to him as the United States of Siberia. Of course, this did not sit very well with the authorities in St. Petersburg, who forced him to step down from his position. His replacement, a gentleman known as Korsakov, was even more liberal than Muryavov. He would allow Bakunin to escape Siberia under cover of company business, eventually making all the way to New York City. Bakunin would not remain in New York long as he felt the urge to return to Europe to continue the struggle against capitalism and for anarchism. Mikhail would bounce around from England to Spain and then off to Italy, and during his travels he would meet a number of influential thinkers, such as Giuseppe Garibaldi and the influential Russian philosopher Alexander Herzen. Throughout the 1860s, Bakunin's stature within the radical movements spreading throughout Europe grew. The 1872 Hague Congress was dominated by a struggle between Bakunin and Marx. Held between September 2nd through the 7th, the battle was between a centralized government run by the proletariat and a decentralized system where all methods of production and agriculture would be shared by all equally. Bakunin believed that Karl Marx's ideas would lead to a constrictive and violent government, which, as we've seen, was spot on. 
he would famously be quoted as saying that Marxism was, quote, all the more dangerous because it appears as a sham expression of the people's will. He added, when the people are being beaten with a stick, they're not much happier if it's called the people's stick. Because of his disagreements with Marx, Bakunin, along with fellow anarchist James Guillaume, were expelled from the International Workingmen's Association. This was the last time that both anarchists and Marxists would be unified in their belief in overthrowing the capitalist system. There were many major differences between what Bakunin believed in versus Marx. Dr. Average put it succinctly in his book, The Russian Anarchists, quote, In sharp contrast with Marx, who had a rationalist scorn for the more primitive elements of society, Bakunin never depreciated the revolutionary classes of non-workers. He accepted the notion of class struggle, it is true, but one that would not confine itself to the proletariat and bourgeoisie, since the instinct of rebellion was the common property of all the oppressed classes of the population. Average further goes on to write, Bakunin's conception of an all-encompassing class war made room for still another unorganized and fragmented element of society for which Marx had only disdained. Bakunin assigned a major role to the disaffected students and intellectuals, alienated from the existing social order and from the uneducated masses as well. When it came to who could join in the revolution, Bakunin opened his arms to a far wider range of society, while Marx was very narrow in his views. Another major difference between the two philosophies was that Marx believed in the dictatorship of the proletariat, while Bakunin once wrote, for as long as political power exists, there will always be rulers and ruled, masters and slaves, exploiters and exploited. While this difference was very public, Bakunin did have a belief that a secret society of men under the strictest discipline was necessary to pull off any rebellion. His most famous successor, Peter Kropotkin, who will be learning, we're going to be learning a little bit about him in a few moments, found this contradictory and something untenable with the concept of true anarchism. Bakunin also believed that there was a vast conspiracy going on, especially in Russia and the rest of Europe. At the center, he believed, was a Jewish conspiracy. Mikhail was a strong anti-Semite and made it very clear in much of his writings. Sociologist Marcel Stutzler claimed that Bakunin, quote, put the existence of a Jewish conspiracy to control the world at the center of his political thinking. He points out that in Bakunin's Appeal to Slavs, which was published in 1845, quote, he wrote that the Jewish sect was a veritable power in Europe, reigning despotically over commerce and banking and invading most areas of journalism. Woe to him who makes the mistake of displeasing it. Stutler explains that conspiracy thinking, cult of violence, hatred of law, fecundity of destruction, Slavic ethno-nationalism, and anti-Semitism were inseparable from Bakunin's revolutionary anarchism. By 1874, Mikhail Bakunin was a tired man. He retired with his young wife, Antonia Kwiatkowska, and their three children to an estate in Switzerland. Two years later, on July 1st, 1876, Bakunin would pass away. 
His work would influence many in the anarchism field, and today it is a cornerstone of the groups who espouse anti-globalism. Our next influential Russian anarchist is Peter Alexeyevich Kropotkin. Born in Moscow on December 9, 1842, his father was Major General Prince Alexei Petrovich Kropotkin, and he was a descendant of the Smolensk branch of the Rurik dynasty. Peter's father owned large tracts of land and nearly 1,200 male serfs in three provinces. His mother would die when Kropotkin was a mere four years old. When Peter was 14, he enrolled in the elite corps of pages at St. Petersburg. It was part military school, part training for the civil service. It was a miserable place, with hazing of younger students the norm. The corps was part of a court institution attached to the imperial household, which gave Kropotkin time with Tsar Alexander II. While he was very happy with the emancipation of the serfs ordered by Tsar, Peter felt that Alexander wasn't the liberal ruler that he felt was necessary to reform Russia. In 1862, Kropotkin graduated first in his class from the Corps. As was custom, he joined the Tsarist army, which allowed him to select where he wanted to be stationed. Surprisingly, he chose Siberia. Now, it would be a turning point in his intellectual life as the governor of the region he was assigned to was General Bolisar Kukl, a liberal and a democrat who maintained personal connections to various Russian radical political figures exiled to Siberia. If you're noting, there's a trend here that when you become the uh, governor of the region of Siberia, not such a great place, so they would usually send these very liberal people out there just to kind of get them away from the center in St. Petersburg or Moscow. Now, Kukul would introduce the young Kropotkin to the radical writer Mikhail Lorenovich Mikhailov. Mikhailov would give Peter a copy of the book by Pierre-Joseph Proudhon. It would transform Kropotkin into a proponent of anarchism. In 1867, Peter would resign from the military, taking a position in the Geographical Survey Department, trying to map the vast regions of Siberia. After doing so, his wealthy father disinherited him. They would never speak to each other again. By 1872, Kropotkin considered himself an anarchist. He would travel to Switzerland to join the International Workingmen's Association at Geneva, but found its form of socialism was not to his liking. Instead, he joined the Jura Federation at Neuchâtel. The Jura was the Bakunin-led split from the IWA, which greatly appealed to Kropotkin. Peter would travel to France to meet other like-minded philosophers. Returning to Russia that same year, Kropotkin would be introduced to the radical group the Circle of Tchaikovsky, also known as the Grand Propaganda Society. Now, it was not named after the famous musician. Instead, it was named after Nicholas Vasilievich Tchaikovsky, a Russian revolutionary. Nicholas would become a prominent anti-Bolshevik after the October 1917 revolution, causing him to leave Russia in 1918. But Kropotkin's membership in the circle would cause him to be arrested for the first time in 1874, where he would be imprisoned in the Peter Paul Fortress for subversive political activity. 
But because of his aristocratic heritage, Kropotkin would receive special treatment, which included continuing his work on the Ice Age, which he argued had taken place in not as distant a past as initially thought. His paper was delivered in 1876 while he was still in prison. Peter would be transferred to a low-security prison in St. Petersburg, where he would escape from it in July of 1876. The story of where he hid out is somewhat comical, uh, as he would meet associates in crime at one of the finest restaurants in the city, believing that the police would never think of looking for Kropotkin there. And they were right. Knowing that he would eventually be found, Peter hopped on a boat to England. Kropotkin's initial stay in England was short, moving to France in 1877, then on to Switzerland, where he remained until 1881. That year, Tsar Alexander II was assassinated, causing the Swiss to expel Peter. He would initially head to the town of Thonon in the Savoy region of eastern France. There, he attended the Anarchist Congress in London from July 14th on July 14th, 1881. Kropotkin would meet with other anarchist delegates, including Marie Lacan, Enrico Malatesta, Severio Merlino, Louise Michel, Nicholas Tchaikovsky, and Emile Gautier. After the Congress, Peter would head to London for a year, returning to Thanon, where he'd be arrested by French authorities. Kropotkin was found guilty of belonging to the IWA and sentenced to five years in prison. He was released after serving four years in 1886. Peter moved to England, where he would remain until 1917, becoming friends with socialist writers like William Morris and George Bernard Shaw. After the February 1917 revolution and the resignation of Tsar Nicholas II, Peter Kropotkin returned from his 40 years of exile. When the Bolsheviks took control in October, Kropotkin would say the following, quote, During all the activities of the present revolutionary political parties, we must never forget that the October movement of the proletariat which ended in a revolution, has proved to everybody that a social revolution is within the bounds of possibility. And this struggle, which takes place worldwide, has to be supported by all means. All the rest is secondary. The party of the Bolsheviks was right to adopt the old, purely proletarian name of Communist Party, even if it does not achieve everything it would like to do. It will nevertheless enlighten the path of the civilized countries for at least a century. Its ideas will be slowly adopted by the peoples in the same way as in the 19th century, the world adopted the ideas of the great French Revolution. That is the colossal achievement of the October Revolution. I see the October Revolution as an attempt to bring the preceding February Revolution to its logical conclusion with a transition to communism and federalism. Kropotkin would become totally disillusioned with the way the Bolsheviks ran things. He wrote, quote, Unhappily, this effort has been made in Russia under a strongly centralized party dictatorship. This effort was made in the same way as the extremely centralized and Jacobin endeavor of Babouf. I owe it to you, frankly, to say that, according to my view, this effort to build a communist republic on the basis of a strongly centralized state communism under the iron law of party dictatorship 
is bound to end in failure. We are learning to know in Russia how not to introduce communism. Even with a people tired of the old regime, and opposing no active resistance to the experiments of the new rulers. Kropotkin moved to the city of Dmitrov in May 1918 after spending the previous year in Moscow. Peter Kropotkin would die of pneumonia on February 8, 1921. His funeral would be attended by thousands of people, with eulogies being given by two prominent Russian anarchists, Emma Goldman and Aaron Barron. It would be the last time that anarchists would be allowed to gather together until after the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time as we finish up our journey into the Russian anarchists. They will include people like Alexei Borova, Leb Chernil, Emma Goldman, Nestor Machnow, and Leo Tolstoy. We'll also discuss two anarchist groups, the Dokhobors and the Chernoy Zanamya, as well as modern-day anarchists like the punk rock group Pussy Riot, Azat Miftikov, and previously mentioned Anastasia Babarova. So, until next time, das vidanya i spasiba bolshoya. <laughs>